All right. Um, today I've kind of retitled our lesson uh, as Right Priorities. Uh, <clears throat> we're in, my, we're in uh, Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Matthew, Mark, look at John. Um, I'm going to start reading in, uh, in the first part of Luke chapter 6. It says, Now it happened on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the grain fields and his disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. <clears throat> and some of the Pharisees said to them, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Now, these guys, these Pharisees, you know, they didn't, I don't think they even knew what the law said. They just had a lot of religious traditions that they were in a practice of keeping. And they didn't like Jesus, and they were just following him around looking for some excuse to get on him about something. And so they accused, they accused them of doing something unlawful on the Sabbath because they were walking through the grain fields and getting little bits of grain and rubbing it in their hand to get the, the husk away from the grain, and, and they were eating the grain, you know. And they said that's against the law. But it wasn't. Uh, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 23. Let's nail this down. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 23. Deuteronomy 23. You all got it? Verse 24 and 25. It says, When you come into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes at your pleasure, but you shall not put any in your container. When you come into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not use the sickle on your neighbor's standing grain. Now, you know, what they were doing was just, it was permitted under the law. You know, but Pharisees didn't see it that way. Uh, they said, why do you do what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? But Jesus answering them said, have you not even read this, what David did when he was hungry, when those who were with him and how they went into the house of God and took and ate the showbread and also gave some to those with him? which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he said to them, The Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. <clears throat> now, I want to read uh, from Matthew 
It's about this same event. It has a little bit more to say in Matthew than Luke. Uh, in Matthew uh, chapter 12, starting in verse 6, it says, But I say unto you that one greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means... I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He was telling them that He's the Lord of the Sabbath. They had religious rules about what you can and what you can't do on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. You know, It says, Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and the Pharisees watched, watched him closely whether he would heal on the Sabbath that they might find an accusation against him. Can you... I, I can't even fathom how depraved these people were. All they cared about was their religious rules. They did not care about the people at all. And the reason they did not like Jesus is because He was real and they weren't. He was drawing the affection of the people away from them to Himself. And they didn't like that. They had had the only game in town for hundreds of years and they didn't like anything that, that upset their apple cart. And Jesus upset their apple cart big time. <clears throat> it says, So the scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely whether he would heal on the Sabbath that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. Then Jesus asked them, I will ask you one question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy? Now the man that has the withered arm, you know, he's standing there in, in full view of everybody. And everybody's looking at him, you know, and he's standing here with this withered arm. And the Lord's talking to everybody before he actually heals this guy. And when he had looked around at them all, he said to the man, and he looked around at everybody in the room, and he said, and he asked them, is it, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? What do you think he meant by that when he said to do evil? I'm going to tell you what I think he meant. To do evil would be to not heal the guy. See, Jesus had the power to heal him. And he's asking these Pharisees, is it, is it legal to do good or to do evil? He knows they're going to condemn him whether he, whether he heals him or whether he don't. 
If you don't heal him, they're going to say, oh, look at there. He didn't have the power to heal the guy anyway. You know, so Jesus is saying, you know, whatever I do, these people are going to condemn me anyway. It doesn't matter. It says, when he looked around at them all, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. But they were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus because he had healed this guy. They were so steeped in their religious tradition that they did not care about the people at all. All they cared about was themselves. It says, but they were filled with rage and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. Now, the Pharisees, the religious leaders in those days, they had a thing called Mishnah, M-I-S-H-N-A. And it was a, a compiled list of do's and don'ts, what you can do, what you can't do. That's all they cared about was their list. You know, we got the same thing today in, in a lot of our churches, and we don't realize it, you know. I was talking to a guy at work one time <clears throat> about the Lord, and he wanted to get into this denominational talk. You know, that, that always happens when you start wanting to talk to somebody about the Lord. They want to talk about religion. You know, and he said, he knew I was a Baptist, you know, and, and he said, you know, I won't go to a Baptist church. He said, because I like to dance. He said, I go to a Methodist church. Methodist, there ain't nothing wrong with dancing the Methodists, you know. <laughs> he wanted to get on this religious stuff, you know, religious rules. What you can do and what you can't do. And I said, well, I'm a Baptist, and I don't think there's anything wrong with dancing. He said, well, you ain't, you ain't really a hard-shell Baptist then if you're, if you're that way. And I said, well, there's a spiritual principle here there's not anything wrong with dancing. <clears throat> it's the question of who you're dancing with. He said, what, what do you mean? He said, I dance with a lot of different women. <laughs> he, you know, he was totally misunderstanding what I was saying. <clears throat> you know, I said, no, you don't understand what I'm saying. When I said it's a question of who you're dancing with, are you dancing with the Lord or are you dancing with the devil? You know, devil, uh, David got up and danced before the Lord, nothing on but his loincloth. When, the, re, when the, the ark was restored, after the Philistines had took it, and the ark, the ark was restored, David stripped down to nothing but his loincloth, and he danced around the ark of the covenant as they were carrying it back into Jerusalem. And God approved of him dancing because he was dancing with God. So it's a question of who are you dancing with. Now you say you like to dance. And I'm telling you there's nothing wrong with dancing, but you need to be dancing with God, not with the world. You like to go to the dance hall and dance this old ungodly beer-drinking music, and you're, not, you're dancing with the devil. You're not dancing with God. But it's, the act of dancing can be evil or good, either one, depending on who you're dancing with. So I got him to thinking a little bit, you know. I don't know if it did a whole lot of good. But, you know, 
we have these religious rules and and people come up with these different things like you know it's bad to do this and it's good to do this and if, if you do the bad stuff you're bad if you do the good stuff god sees it and he likes you you know that's all religious thinking you know that's all religious thinking doesn't have any standing with god the only thing that has any standing with god is whether you believe in that shed blood or not. And if you believe in, the, in His shed blood that He died for you and that you have no merit before Him whatsoever, then that pleases God if you're on the right track in that way. And, and it's God that sets our lives straight. It's not rules. It's not religious rules that set our lives straight. And Jesus was trying to get this, get this over to these people. And... You know, they didn't understand. They were so steeped in their religion uh, that they didn't understand. It says, Now it came to pass in those days that he went out of the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer. Now, if it was, if it was necessary for Jesus to spend all night in prayer, then it's necessary for us to spend lots of time in prayer. It, it's necessary for us to get in, in touch with God and commune with Him. I'm going to share a, a testimony with you all, something that happened to me one time years ago. We lived in Lake Jackson. And... The Lord burdened me real strong that I needed to go to Oyster Creek. Oyster Creek is probably 12 miles from Lake Jackson. I didn't know what for. I only knew one person that lived over there. And I thought, what in the world do I need to go to Oyster Creek for? But the Lord just kept burdening me about it. So I, I told Charlotte, I said, I've got to go to Orchard Creek. I don't know why. I just got to go out there. Uh, my friend out there may be in trouble or something. So I got in the car, and I drove to Orchard Creek, 12 miles. Went over there to my friend's house, went up to the door, knocked on the door, and he wasn't even there. Both cars was gone. Him and his wife both gone. And I was just kind of puzzled. You know, what, what is this? You know. So I got in the car, and I started back toward Lake Jackson. Well, I got up there to four-way stop of uh, Highway 332 and turned toward Lake Jackson, drove about a mile, and here was a fellow walking on the side of the road, crippled fellow, and the, the, I mean, it was just like a magnet. The Lord just, you know, I just had to pick him up. So I stopped, he got in the car, and I got talking with him, and I said, where are you going? He said, oh, I'm going to church over in the First Assembly of God in Clute. He said, they're having a revival over there, you know. And he said, I, I got to go to church. And well, here it was, almost time for church to start. And he's seven, eight miles from church walking, you know. So I said, well, I'm, I know where that's at. I'll take you over there. So I just drove right up to the church and let him out, you know. And he got out. He thanked me. I mean, this guy had been crippled all his life, you know. And he was, he was crippled to the taunt that it, effect, it affected his speech, you know and everything and he he got out of the car and off he went into church and as soon as he closed the door on that car the joy of the lord came over me so strong 
I just, I just felt if I'd have got out of the car, I didn't know if I could have kept my feet on the ground, you know. I was on a high for about three days after that. The joy of the Lord. You know, being happy and, you know, anybody can be happy. Even the most evil lost person can be happy. But the joy of the Lord is completely different than being happy. And, and I had the joy of the Lord because I had followed his, his leadings in doing something that he wanted me to do. You know, and I learned a dear, dear lesson in that experience is that God will not always reveal to you his whole plan. He'll just, he'll just reveal to you one step at a time because he knows you and he's not going to let you mess up his plan. I followed his burden. I went to Orchard Creek. I thought it was, you know, I was confused about it. And when he pulled me over to pick this guy up, then I kind of realized, but I didn't realize the whole full scope of the thing until he got out of the car and thanked me and closed the door and the joy of the Lord come over me. And then I realized that the whole thing was to get this guy to church. This guy that would not have made it. He would not have made it to church. It was very important for him to be there. And I was the vessel God used to get him there. And the, God, and, and the Lord gave me this wonderful joy. It lasted about three days. I wonder what Philip was thinking when the Spirit of the Lord told him to go into the desert. Reckon he questioned the Lord? Well, what's out in the desert? The Lord didn't tell him there was a eunuch out there that was, would, was needed direction, you know, and, and witnessing to. But he just told Philip to go. When the Lord leads you and me, that's what he'll do. He'll just say, go. He'll burden you about something and he'll say, go. He won't tell you why. He'll show you that later on when you get there. He does us that way to keep us from messing up his plants. Because we're good at messing things up. Make no mistake about that. Okay, verse 12, it says... No, wait a minute. Got a place here. Verse 12, uh, chapter 6, it says, Now when he came, it came to pass that in those days when he went out of the mountain to pray, he continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And from them he chose twelve whom he also named apostles. Now here's Jesus, he'd been up all day, and he spent all night in prayer. That's 24 hours in my book without sleep. Now the next day, he chose his 12 disciples, his 12 apostles. It says, Simon, whom he also called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, and John, Philip, and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with the crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from whom all Judea and Jerusalem 
and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and he healed their diseases. Now here's Jesus been up 24 hours. At the break of dawn, he's been up 24 hours, no sleep. He chooses his, his disciples. It says, They came from Tyre and Sidon and came to hear him and be healed of their diseases, as well as those who were tormented in unclean spirits, and they were healed. The whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him and healed them all. You see that word all? Now I'm going to chase a rabbit here. <laughs> Some of you may not like it, but I'm going to chase it anyway. Jesus never turned down anybody that came to him for healing. He never told anybody that, hey, it's not your day. It's just not your time. Maybe later, but it's not your time. He never told anybody that. He healed them all. Now, I make a practice at times of telling people that God wants His children well. That is God's best for His children. His, and the reason I say that is because His Word says it. Now, there's times with some people that it may not work out that way, but it's God's will for all His children to be healed. But I think God has priorities above that. God's priorities is that we be humble and contrite before Him in love. And sometimes the Lord allows diseases in the lives of people to, for certain purposes that's temporary in order to bring them to their best in their spiritual relationship with Him. But the Lord never turned down anybody. Another thing, here in verse 20, he starts off with this uh, sermon on the plain. It's called the Sermon on the Plain. And he, called, he starts off with this word, blessed. B-L-E-S-S-E-D. Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Now if you want to know what it is to be blessed, go to Deuteronomy chapter 28 and read the first 14 verses. That'll show you what it is to be blessed. Every Jew knew that. There's no sickness or disease in those first 14 verses. It says, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolations. For, you are, for to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when you all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. 
Woe to you when all men speak well of you. You know, everybody didn't speak well of Jesus. And everybody's not going to speak well of you or of me. He said, I, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Now, can you do that? I ask myself, can I do that? One of Tom Selleck's movies, uh, he said he, he it was a Western movie. He said, I was raised by Jesuits, but he said, I never did get the knack of turning the other cheek. <laughs> <laughs> Being honest, money. Well, that's hard to do. And I guarantee you, in your own power, you cannot do it. But in the power of God and in the, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, you can do it. And if, if it comes to the point in your life when you have to do it, believe me, God will make it up to you later on. He will make it up to you. He says, Bless, the, bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. That's another thing it's hard to do. To pray for somebody that's been mean to you. And what is, what is your, uh, your old human nature to do? Somebody like that. Get even with them, isn't it? says, to him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Uh, you know, on a day like this, can you give the guy your coat and your hat? If he takes your coat from you, can you give him your hat also? It says, give to everyone who asks you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not... Do not ask them back. In other words, when you loan somebody something to somebody and they don't bring it back, does it make you mad? Or are you going to pray for them and trust God to give you, give you something better? He said, And just as you want men to do to you, so also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners and receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good, and lend hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be the sons of the Most High, for He is kind and unthankful. He is kind to the unthankful and evil. It's, you know, it's a kind of a hard concept to grasp that God is kind to everybody. Even the most evil person, God is kind to them. The most evil person that's sitting on death row in Huntsville prison waiting for execution, God's relation to them is he holds the cross up to them and he says, look, fellow, what I did for you. That's it. 
He says, therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. How many of us have forfeited the blessings of God by holding grudges against others? You ever thought about that? How many of us have cut the blessings of God out of our lives because we hold resentment in our heart towards somebody that did us wrong back in 1948? Or 58. How many of us have suffered years and years of bad things because we can't forgive somebody? It's just a question. And he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. If you're perfectly trained in the Lord, then you'll be like the Lord. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck that's in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. You know, the world looks at the church, the people, when I say the world, I'm talking about the, the unchurched people, the, the lost people who don't believe in God and uh, you know, they're not born again. They look at the church and they see, they see the lives of the people that are going to church and they say, well, the church is full of hypocrites because, you know, these people are still sinning. They get out on the job and, you know, you, you can't tell any difference between them and the unchurched. You know, they're still doing bad things. So they're hypocrites. Now, that's not what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is a person who, who puts on an act and pretends to be something that they're not. A person that's got known sin and shortcomings in their life and they're going to church and, and trying to fellowship with God and, and trying to be right, they're not hypocrites. They're just like a sick person that goes to a hospital. The reason I fellowship with God's people and, and come to church is because He commanded me to and I know that His Spirit of His grace is stronger in corporate worship than it is out when I'm by myself. And I need that. I need it because I know I have sin in me. God does not see me as a sinner, but I have sin in me and that sin has to be dealt with. And only God can deal with it. 
So, you know, the reason I go to church is the same reason that, that you go to the doctor when you're sick. We all have spiritual sickness in us. It's called sin. It's not what we are, but we have it in us. And we need, it needs to be dealt with. We need, to, we need to come to church. We need to have fellowship with God in a corporate way. We also need to fellowship with God in private. We need to learn how to deal with this thing in us called sin. It has to be dealt with. He says, For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from the bramble bush. A good man out of a good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil things. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, you know, the Lord, a lot of times, He said things that, that made people mad, but He always got to the truth. He said, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The things that are important to you and me will come out of our mouth. All you have to do to, to know what's important to people is to just be quiet and get around them and listen to them talk. The things that they want to talk about is the things that are most important to them. And a lot of us have wrong priorities. It's, it's revealed by our speech. He says, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on a rock. Now who is the rock? Jesus is the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it before it was because it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like the man who built his house on earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. So, you know, to me, <clears throat> what we need to do as Christians is we need to make a commitment to God that we're going to base everything that we believe on what His Word says. And let that be it. And if the world doesn't agree with it, it just doesn't agree with it. Uh, I want to read you something here that I got this out of Matthew Henry commentary. And sometimes he says some things in there that's just wonderful, weighty, and powerful. He says, we have a great deal of business at the throne of God. The throne of grace. And we should take a great delight in communion with God. And by both of these, we may be kept sometimes long at prayer. He said, in serving God, our great care 
should be not to lose time, but to make the end of one good duty the beginning of another. Jesus spent all day in ministry. He spent all that night in prayer and all the next day in ministry. The power of the Spirit was on Him without measure. There were times when He got sleepy and tired, you know, just like when he was uh, standing there at the well in Samaria and he said he was tired from his journey, you know. And a woman came up there and he said, can I have a drink of water? He was thirsty. He had sent his apostles to town for something to eat because they didn't have any food to eat. They, were, they, were, they had been walking. They had been on a journey. And there's no telling how long Jesus had been up without sleep. He was thirsty and he was hungry. And the apostles went off to get to town to get food, and he was there ministering to this woman. And when the apostles came back with food, and while they were gone, he had ministered to this woman, and he, through the gifts of the Spirit of knowledge, he told her about her life. She went to town and got all of her friends and brought them out here, out there, and he ministered to them. You know, when the apostles got back from town with something to eat, Jesus wasn't hungry. And he said, I have food that you don't know anything about. For my will is to do the will of him that sent me. When you get tuned in with God and you really get into the flow of what his spirit wants you to do, there is a power that God puts on your life that is unexplainable. When I let that old boy off at church, and he closed the door and the joy of the Lord came over me. I knew for the first time in my life what Jesus was talking about when he said, I have food that you know not of. I've had several experiences like that in my life. <clears throat> and you know, something like that, you don't forget it. You do not forget the times of refreshing that come from the presence of the Lord. You just don't forget it. You know, I've heard people say that <clears throat> you come into this life with nothing and you can leave with nothing. You ever heard that? Paul said it. Well, he was talking about physical things. <clears throat> but you can leave. When you, when you leave here, you leave with something. <clears throat> you leave with the things that you have fellowship with God in while you're in this life. The revelations that God has given you by, from walking by faith, I don't think you lose that. You don't ever lose it. You may lose your mind. You may even forget who you are, but you won't forget the things that God has done in your life. And with that, I'll just call in to the lesson today. It's been a short lesson. Been a short lesson? Let's have a word of prayer.
Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for striving with us and dealing with us. We thank you for what your Spirit does in our lives. And we give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.